Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. This week on the show, we're discussing Mu'ala, introduces shelf-stable line of organic plant-based milks, and the top five foods banned in Europe. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X Talks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Vera Kovacevic. Thanks for coming today. So I'm going to start us off with an interesting story about um, a couple foods that are banned in Europe. So many Americans might be surprised to discover that there's actually quite a long list of foods that are banned in Europe. And this is because the U.S. has a bit more lenient food ingredient regulations and it could potentially expose consumers to carcinogens and harmful chemicals. But the discrepancy lies in the fact that the American food manufacturers can use additives that are banned in Europe due to their associated significant health risks. And one of the reasons behind this gap is that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's, or FDA's, generally recognized as safe or grass designation. So originally, grass was created with the intention of fast-tracking the use of common ingredients with well-established safety profiles like table salt and vinegar. And this meant that food manufacturers could skip the FDA's exhaustive safety review process, ensuring that their products reached uh, the market faster. But as time passed, this leniency has been exploited by the food industry. So companies use the grass designation as a shortcut, introducing thousands of additives, some with unknown, sorry, some with known and unknown health risks into um, American food products. So let's get started. And the first um, food that is banned in Europe, or, or ingredient rather, is titanium dioxide, which is also known as E171. It's banned in European food, but it remains a common whitening agent in American candies like Skittles, Starburst, Sour Patch Kids, Jell-O, and more. And while the FDA believes that the levels of titanium dioxide in U.S. food are safe, the International Agency for Research on Cancer categorizes it as a group 2B carcinogen, indicating a potential risk to humans if inhaled. This classification was grounded on studies showing that high doses of fine titanium dioxide dust led to respiratory tract cancers in rats when inhaled. Most research, however, suggests that the amount of titanium dioxide ingested from food is minimal, posing little to no risk to human health. All right, so moving on to number two. In the U.S., flour can be treated with a compound called azotocarbonamide, and, and that serves as both a bleaching and dough-fortifying agent. But this compound is prohibited in Europe as well as Australia due to its potential to degrade into carcinogenic into a carcinogenic component. So when it decomposes in dough, it generates something called semi-carbazide or SEM um, and urethane. Now the National Institutes of Health has identified urethane as a potential carcinogen for humans. And additionally, studies have indicated that SEM can elevate tumor occurrences in female mice. Major fast food chains like McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts, and White Castle have luckily gradually eliminated this ingredient from their offerings, but it remains in certain products. For example, the ingredients list for Arby's croissant still mentions um, azodicarbonamide, making it one of several foods banned in Europe. 
Third is something that you've probably heard of uh, outside of food, but it actually appears in food as well. Um, and that would be a type of, of paraben. So while the FDA has classified propylparaben as grass for use in um, antimicrobial, as a micro, sorry, as an antimicrobial pre preservative in food products, the European Food Safety Authority, or EFSA, has prohibited its addition to food in the early 2000s. And though it hasn't been directly linked to cancer, there are concerns about its potential effects on fertility and endocrine system function. A 2002 Japanese study discovered that the levels of this substance approved by the FDA led to a decrease in sperm count in young rats. Parabens, uh, which are mostly uh, found in cosmetics, can interfere with uh, regular operation of hormonal systems affecting both male and female reproductive health, development, fertility, and birth results. The Environmental Working Group identified several food products containing this chemical, such as Entenmann's Coconut Crunch Donuts and Sara Lee Honey Glazed Buns, among many others. So fourth is a compound called RBST, also referred as RBHG or bovine somatotropin. And it's a human-made uh, variant of a hormone naturally produced by cows for managing metabolic activities. It's been used to enhance milk production in dairy cows for several years, but it's been banned in Europe since the 1990s. And there's been varied research regarding the synthetic hormones association with breast cancer. Using RBST results in higher concentration, concentrations of insulin-like growth factor, or IGF-1, a protein typically present in milk, and some studies hint at a connection between increased IGF-1 levels and the development of prostate, breast, and colorectal cancers. Not to mention, the synthetic hormone can cause several medical conditions in the cows themselves, leading to increased antibiotic use, which means more antibiotics in milk, yogurt, and other dairy products. And lastly, um, we have something called brominated vegetable oil. So most consumers know that sodas contain sweeteners, um, among other things, but a lesser known ingredient uh, found in some sodas and sports drinks can actually jeopardize the nervous system. This ingredient, um, brominated vegetable oil or BVO, uh, rounds out the top five list of foods that are banned in Europe. So citrus flavored beverages are particularly prone to containing BVO. The substance uh, is created by binding vegetable oil with bromine to add density to the flavor mixture. And this ensures that it melts with the sugar sugared water, preventing flavor separation. Up until recently, popular fruit drinks, fruit drinks from leading brands like Coca-Cola and Pepsi, including Mountain Dew and Gatorade, contained BVO. And now it can still be found in some lesser known citrus drinks such as, such as Sundrop, which is made by the Keurig Dr. Pepper group. Various uh, brominated compounds are associated with a range of health concerns, notably damaging the nervous system. BVO tends to accumulate in the, in the human body, and studies have indicated that prolonged consumption of beverages containing high v BVO levels can lead to s symptoms like headaches, skin, mucous membrane ir irritation, fatigue, muscle coordination disruption, and memory lapses. So yeah, these are um, just um, a couple of the many um, ingredients that are found in many, many common foods in the U.S. Um, and what I was thinking while I was writing this is that, you know, 
I don't know whether or not Europe um, still sells things like Skittles and, and Sour Patch Kids and um, things with, with propylparaben in them, but rather they just uh, use different recipes or, um, you know, they just eliminate this chemical because a lot of these chemicals are unnecessary in terms of, um, you know, taste and may just add something in terms of, um, you know, look or, um you know, whatever, whatever it may be for, or to enhance, you know, milk production in cows. So they're not 100% necessary. Um, so do you think that, you know, Europe um, is sort of ahead of the curve in sort of trying to eliminate these ingredients? Because they've, they've, with some of them, they've been banned since the 90s. So, you know, they, they've gotten on just fine um, in, in terms of finding um, replacements or, or alternatives. Yeah, like what you were saying, Sydney, I think um, that these products like Skittles, for example, and other food products that contain like one of those five compounds, which you listed, I think they are outright banned for sale in Europe. And I don't think many of the food manufacturers bother to adjust their formula to sell it in Europe, because I think there is a concern there. Like if, if I think they probably then should just change their formula for everywhere, like internationally as a whole. And I don't think they bothered to do that yet. So I was reading online and um, yeah, Skittles, Pop-Tarts, Gatorade and other products, um, they can't be banned in Europe. Like Skittles, for example, is banned in Europe. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to think of a place. I mean, we're so used to, you know, having access to these things, right? But I suppose if you've, if you didn't grow up without Skittles, you don't know what you're missing. So it doesn't really matter. Um, but I think it would be interesting to sort of, if, if the FDA tomorrow was, was banning Skittles, it would sort of be a different story. Um, as for, um, the, hormone the the human made hormone um mm -hmm. had you ever heard of this before and um do you think that you know we should we should ban it as well um yeah i never heard of that hormone i think you're talking about the compound rbst or yeah rbgh um no i'm actually surprised um that it's used to enhance milk production in cows um i've never heard of that I do think like generally the more natural or organic something is, I, I do think that's like probably the best bet for you. Um, but I can see why it it would be used to enhance milk production in dairy cows. Um, yeah, going through all your list, I was actually quite shocked at all five of them. And I think the reason is because all of these five things are used in a wide variety of products. Okay, so especially, for example, um, the antimicrobial preservative, polyparaben, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I can imagine that that's used in a lot of um, products in the U.S. And it's completely prohibited in, in Europe. So mm -hmm. it's like you've, your list of five things, right? It's actually like maybe hundreds of food products have them. Yeah, no, it is. It was kind of hard to sort of um, choose which ones to talk about specifically, just because there are so many of these like chemicals or, or additives or ingredients. And then, yeah, within those five, there are hundreds, maybe even thousands um, of, of 
actual items that, you know, contain these things. So while we're, yeah, we're just talking about five, but there's, there's, you're right, there's actually hundreds. Um, and, and one that I thought was, was kind of interesting and, and weird was the brominated vegetable oil. I was thinking, oh, that's probably in, you know, maybe breads or, or, you know, pastries or something, but it's actually used in, in sodas and sports drinks. Like I never would have put you know, a type of vegetable oil or associated it with, um, with, with, a, with a beverage. Um, and it's, and it's, like I said, it's, it's really just used to sort of make sure that the flavor doesn't separate with, with the, uh, you know, with the, with the water or whatever. Um, yeah. but that one was, was interesting to me and it, it seems pretty unnecessary, um, as well. It seems like you could probably, and get that flavor um, without needing to use, uh, yeah. you know, brominated vegetable oil. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean by that. And I think it's because those, um, you know, those beverages, right, where they have a lot of sugar in them, amongst other things. And then I guess the density of those different compounds in those drinks is different. So then over time, if they're sitting on the shelf, it will separate into layers, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in order for that not to happen, then they'll add the brominated vegetable oil, yeah, I don't know. I think that's um you can just write mix the drink before you mix it before you drink it like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um and I was actually just looking up sort of another list of of foods that are banned in the US because I was really curious about, you know, these are the food foods that are banned in Europe, but what does the US ban? Um and it's it's it really sort of you understand um, more that there's there's like a much more of a cultural um, reasoning behind these things, uh, both in, in Europe and in the U.S. So um, one of them is a, a type of, of cheese um, and it isn't sold in America, at least not in its traditional form. And then we have um, foie gras, which is... Um, it can be sold somewhere, but not in California. And that's due to the uh, the controversial method of force feeding ducks and geese. Uh, so they don't like that. Um, elsewhere, um, swan is banned. Swan. Um, like eating swan, swan meat. Yeah. Yeah. Swan mm-hmm. meat um, is illegal in, in some areas of the U.S. Um, also sassafras oil, um, which is deemed to be a potential carcinogen. Um and some junk foods are banned, um, not all over the U.S., but in New York and California. We have sea turtles as well um, that are banned. I didn't even know that they were eaten elsewhere as well. Um, bush meat, which is uh, refers to various African wildlife. Um, what else do we have? Horse meat as well, um, it's banned, which makes sense. It's banned in the States. That is, that is banned in the States, Yes. Um, raw milk, that's an interesting one. Um, so milk that hasn't been pasteurized. Um, and, and these aren't necessarily foods that aren't also banned in Europe, but this is just a list of foods that, that are banned in the U.S. as well. Um, we have a type of fish called redfish, um, it, because they're too rare, I believe, and they're banned everywhere except Mississippi. Uh, we have something called black pudding, which is like haggis, um, and it contains sheep's lungs, so that is not allowed. Uh, we have something called bird's nest soup, which is a favorite dish in Asian countries like China, um, but you can't find them in the U.S. Um, due to uh, avian influenza virus. 
We have um, Japanese puffer fish, um, which can contain several toxins that can be deadly. Um, and quite a few others. We have shark fins as well, uh, mm. haggis uh, from Scotland, um, a drink called Four Loco, which was banned a couple years ago, I remember. Um, it's, it's an alcoholic drink, and I think it also contained caffeine, um, so it was pretty potent. Um, and then most recently, I remember uh, Kinder Eggs as well. Those are banned, um, and not because of the food itself, but because of the, um, the, the toy inside that I think was deemed unsafe for, um, for children, and that's who it was intended for. But yeah, I just wanted to give our listeners sort of an idea of the foods that are, are banned in the U.S. just to, you know, to, to sort of even things out. Yeah, it seems like from your list, half of them seem to be banned for ethical reasons. And the other mm -hmm. half were more like for scientific reasons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. Yeah it's, yeah, it's just interesting, like, you know, who who decides this in which regions and, and how did their, you know, upbringing or like culture impact these decisions? Because obviously they do. And food is often very regional. So that definitely plays into it as well. All right, so moving on to our next story. So there's a very um, big ongoing trend amongst health-conscious consumers um, with them carefully inspecting labels and demanding products with few ingredients. And joining this movement is Muala, which is a Dallas-based company that recently unveiled its latest innovation, the Muala Simple Line. And this company claims that it's the first ever three-ingredient, shelf-stable, organic, plant-based milk. So I briefly talked to Jeff Richards, the CEO and founder of Muala, to find out a little bit more. So the Simple Line is available in both almond and oat varieties and stands out with its commitment to purity. And unlike many brands that often infuse their plant-based milks with gum, oils, and additives, Muala's latest line prides itself in containing only three core ingredients, filtered water, organic oats or almond, and a pinch of sea salt. So Muala, which began in Texas in 2016, now spans across major retailers in the U.S. Whether it's Whole Foods, Walmart, or Aldi, Muala has made its mark in the plant-based milk market. The company's recent accolade being ranked number 1600 on the 2022 Inc. Doc, or sorry, Inc. Magazine 5000 list of growing businesses is definitely a testament to its progressive journey. But why the emphasis on such simplicity? Richards highlighted how Muala differentiates itself from its competitors, noting, The vast majority of plant-based milks on the market use a lot of extra additives and flavors to thicken and add texture to their products because they don't actually contain much oat, almond, etc. Incredible amounts of money have been spent to create the cheapest plant-based milks possible that can pass the flavor and, te and texture test. So what truly sets Muala apart isn't just its organic certification or its minimalist approach. The brand has consistently shown that its products free from GMOs, herbicides, preservatives, and chemicals can also prioritize taste. Richards added, when you remove thickeners, flavors, oils, and stabilizers to that make traditional plant-based milk quote-unquote taste good, you have to make sure that you're using enough of the real stuff to ensure a delicious experience. Our products use more almond and oat than what you would typically find on the shelf, which provides a creamy, real taste that you'd experience making it at home. So remarkably, the plant-based milks don't require refrigeration until consumers are ready to enjoy it. Richard said, just a little shake before opening it is all it takes. We believe that 
That's a small gesture for a product free from additives and stabilizers. And while ingredients and taste are top, pri are top priorities for Moala, sustainability is also pretty important as well. So Richard said, our simple line has over a year of shelf life, meaning less expiration waste. And these products don't have to be transported on refrigerated trucks, which reduces greenhouse gas emissions. We also use smaller uh, pack size of 32 ounce, which means consumers aren't fighting to drink an entire gallon of a product a week after opening it. It's the right size to reduce waste at home. So beyond its products, Muala's legacy in the non-dairy space is impressive, especially among a slew of competitors. In a short span, the company became the number one branded organic almond milk in the U.S. Its portfolio isn't just limited to almond milk, as its banana milks, which are both nut-free and dairy-free, have also been widely acclaimed. Back in 2019, Forbes even credited Muala for catalyzing banana milk's rise to popularity in the dairy wars. And in the same year, the company closed an 8.3 million Series A investing round, bringing Muala's total funding to more than 13 million. The financing was led by a food and beverage investment firm, Sweet Equities, along with Series Seed lead investor M3 Ventures and participation from other firms and family offices. As for what consumers can expect from Muala in the future, Richard said, We have incredible momentum with this simple line and will evaluate expanding the line as we continue to gain distribution and consumers on our newly launched products. But we are very excited for the future opportunities with Simple down the road. So I thought this was a really, you know, impressive and interesting company and these products specifically, um, for one, that they don't require refrigeration. Secondly, that they only contain three ingredients. And I really liked and appreciated what he said about, you know, the size of the product. And it made me think about how it's true. Milk typically comes in, you know, a gallon or, or, or you know, whatever relatively big um, size that you kind of have to drink it relatively quickly. Um, and if you're just one person or two people, you, you may, it may expire before you finish it. So I really appreciated that, um, you know, that smart pack size as well. Um, but yeah, Vera, what do you think about this that, you know, it doesn't need to be refrigerated in the three ingredients and, and all that? I thought it's brilliant, like really. Mm -hmm. And, um, what, what I really like about the packaging is that it looks simple as well. And yeah. that they listed the three ingredients on the front cover, which were water, organic almonds, and salt, as you said. So mm -hmm. I really like the packaging. I really like the size of the packaging as well. Um, what I didn't know about almond milk was that once it's open, though, it, it will last around seven days when it's stored in the fridge, right? Mm. Milk can last weeks until it expires when you store it in the fridge um although we know that milk has to be always stored in the fridge it can't be like almond milk stored in the, on the shelf and then you open it mm -hmm. and then you have to put it in the fridge so mm -hmm. i think that um yeah the smaller the size uh, of the like whatever it is almond or oat based or whatever uh whatever the case may be i think um that's truly great because i remember um, me and my husband, we bought some oat milk at Costco and there was like, um, I don't think we knew how long it would last in the fridge once it was opened, but anyways, we couldn't finish it all. And I think it went bad. I think it even changed color. Um, oh goodness. <laughs> yeah. So I think, um, they're really looking at this from a consumer perspective and trying to differentiate themselves from like the other options on the shelves. 
And there are many, and there are quite a few. And I think maybe one of their only downfalls, um, if if price is an object, is is price. Because um, on their website, uh, you can get a six pack of either the oat or almond milk for thirty six ninety nine. So essentially thirty seven dollars, which is about six something per, uh, you know, thing of of milk. So honestly. If you're willing to pay that and and chipped and milk is getting kind of on the pricier side anyway, then not too bad. If if this is important to you, if if simple ingredients and you know if that's important to you, then I suppose it's not too bad. But what do you think about that price? Um, honestly, like I don't really buy a lot of um, plant based milk. I think we bought it once mm-hmm. and we kind of gave up on it due to what happened. <laughs> so I really I I'm not um. It does sound a little bit more pricey, but I, I'm not someone who drinks it all the time, so I don't really have like a perspective on that. But I do mm-hmm. think, um, yeah, I, I do think that Moala is probably going to get pretty big. Um, just because in my opinion, now I know I'm generalizing, but the people who tend to um, drink plant-based milk tend to be like very health conscious and like um, they maybe they're doing it for like ethical reasons maybe they're doing it for health reasons but whatever it is I think like the simple ingredients will really appeal to that consumer base so I think mm-hmm. Moala will probably expand in the future but um, to like just to beyond the US that's what I mean mm-hmm mm-hmm because essentially, I mean, it's got all the same ingredients as you would need to, to make your own at home. Um, and if you were buying the same amount of um, oats and or almonds, potentially it would round out to the same price if you're getting that amount. So yeah, maybe it is a reasonable price. And and like the CEO said, you know, they use a lot more almonds and oats than typical plant-based milk. So you and that those come at a price. So yeah, if they're willing to pay for it, then I I think it's 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 pretty reasonable. But I agree. I think um I think the simplicity is kind of what is going to differentiate it from from the like tens of maybe even hundreds of of other options out there. All right, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. If you like today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com, or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.